Um, the scripture for today is from Hebrews chapter 7, from verses 11 to 19. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was, was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. This becomes more evident when another priest arrives in the likeness of Melchizedek whom has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the, on the one hand, a formal commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw our draw near to God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm not new to this group, but some of you may have never met me before. My name is Dan Rolf and my wife Elizabeth. Hey! And, uh, We've uh, been in Halifax for 30 some odd years, and not strangers, like I said, to this congregation. When we were in China for five years, um, you guys were very strong supporters of us. We thank you for that. So I say ni hao to my friends, and say uh, anyaseo to any Koreans, and uh, bonjour, bonjour, uh, hola, anyway. We'll go on and on with that, but we won't do that. Uh, so anyway, my, uh, my task today is always challenging when someone hands you a scripture passage and says, here, preach on this one. Um, I'm kind of one of those people who prefers organic and uh, have lots of sermons in my arsenal right at the moment because uh, I haven't been able to preach for two years off and on. So, you know, you get a lot of... All your, your barrels are all full by the time someone says, here, speak, and then they give you a passage too, and so you're like, <laughs> okay. So, but that's not, it's the word of the Lord, and you can always find something exciting and inspirational in it. So, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11 today. Um, as I looked at this passage, obviously it's a small portion of a very complicated book, uh, and yet it's a book that has a simple message to it. Uh, and as a teacher, uh, I'm not much of a preacher, I'm more of a teacher. So um, I would always want to think of the big picture. And then what are we looking at today that's a little part of that big picture, right? And so I want to take a moment just to review what the book is about, okay? Uh, so by the way, I'm getting old enough now to where I need these things. My dad used to tell me all the time, Dan, when you get older, your arms get shorter. <laughs> and I never knew what he meant until now. 
So just some reminders of what the book of Hebrews is about. It's a, the author was a Hebrew Christian, okay, and he was writing to Hebrews using their worldview to try to explain to them who Christ was. Now, who this author was, that's a matter of debate. Uh, some say Paul, some say others. I happen to believe it was Apollos uh, because it seems to fit the complicated Greek that is used and the, the incredible uh, understanding of Old Testament. Apollos seems to fit into that for me, but that's a completely other subject, and we won't get into that there. Uh, the writer's aim is to bring the readers to maturity, okay? And the Greek word there is teleosis, which means uh, the idea of bringing to perfection, okay? That's the word that's often translated perfection or to be made perfect. Really, the idea is mature. It's to, to grow to a point of perfection. So maturity has that connection to that word. Uh, I think that's really important because the Hebrews of that day thought they had it all. They thought they'd already arrived. After all, we're the chosen people, we're the Jews. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to say, no, you have even farther to go. Jesus is going to take you to that final step that you've been waiting for. And so that's what this book is often about. You'll see that many times. Hebrews chap in the chapter 6, verse 1, he talks about coming to maturity and warning them of not continuing on in things that uh, they've been doing for years, but actually taking that to the next level. And then, of course, in this verse, chapter or as well, he talks about that. And then finally, the Old Testament law in this book is shown to be imperfect. He shows over and over again that there is a better way. There is a more perfect way. And so he's constantly trying to show them that what you had was actually only step one. And step two has come. And how foolish it would be if you didn't take the next step. And so that's really important, major theme of this book. All right? But today we're just going to look at chapter 7 and verses 11 through 19. Uh, so... There it is. So real quick, I know we've already read over the passage, but if you'll just look for a moment, these are some of the words I'm going to really try to hone in on. So perfection, the teleosis, which we already talked about, okay? Uh, the perfection through the Levitical, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, then there wouldn't be any need for another priesthood, right? And so that's a part of this passage, and that's going to be an important part of the hope that we're talking about. So uh, scroll all the way down, and then it says, uh, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect, the teleosis, or mature. The law will never bring you to maturity. In fact, you can look in many other portions of Scripture where Paul talks about this, that the law was actually designed to keep you from making too many mistakes until you found that perfect sacrifice, which it was pointing to all the time. All right, so that's, that's really important to understand that word perfect as meaning moving to maturity. And so on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And that's where we're going to end up with, is talking a little bit about what is that hope, that mature hope, that better hope, as the different words are used to describe that. Okay? Now, I, by the way, I... I I'm used to teaching with PowerPoint, and there's usually animation, so you don't get to see the points that I'm going to talk about ahead of time. But there's no animation in the system here. So guess what? Try not to read ahead too much, <laughs> all right? And if you do, stay with me, all right? Because I'm not there yet. I'm going to get there. 
Some of you are really speed readers, right? So you're going to get there before me. So, uh, so we're going to talk about a mature priesthood first because that's a very important part of this passage. So the priesthood, first of all, was directly associated with the coming before God and the atonement that was going to be given. So if you think about it, the readers, the, the audience of the writer here are Jews. So try to put yourself in their place when you understand what this book is actually trying to say. And then we can apply it to ourselves as mostly Gentiles in the room, I'm sure. Uh, but we need to first think about what were the readers thinking when they heard this, okay? And so the first thing we know is that they already have a, an association with the priesthood. And that is, every year, there was a group of people from the Levitical tribe who were, had the responsibility to go in to the temple or tabernacle, depending on what time of uh, Israel's history it was, and offer up a sacrifice on their behalf. No small thing, right? In some cases, it was continuously over the year, and then there was that Day of Atonement, which was really a big deal, because the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would make a sacrifice for all the people. But what was their hope in this situation? They were hoping he'd be accepted, right, on their behalf. So they had a hope. But it's funny how that hope kind of translated into other behaviors. Are you familiar with the fact that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle? Because there's a possibility he didn't come out alive. And they would drag his body out if necessary. So what kind of hope was that? Okay. Keep that in mind. So their idea of the priesthood was directly associated with this atonement. It was directly associated with, let me connect a little bit more for us, their acceptance before God, okay? So the next thing is the Messiah's priesthood then was not to come from the Levitical priesthood. Now, why is this important? Because to the Jew, the, Levitic, the Levit Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood was extremely important. It was kind of the dead end. That was it. That's what they had. But the Melchizedekan priesthood, which was referred to in the Old Testament, and we're going to look in a moment in uh, Genesis 49, that priesthood was kind of mysterious because it, it belonged to the Messiah. And we know that they had a vague understanding of what the Messiah would be because when Messiah did arrive, they were like, huh, you? You can't be the guy they were talking about. In fact, some rabbinical writings talk about two messiahs, a suffering messiah and a reigning messiah, because they couldn't get their head around the resurrection. See? So the, the, the uh, Melchizedekan priesthood was very mysterious to them. And yet, all, almost all rabbinical writings say that uh, when we look at, uh, I think it's Psalm, sorry here, Psalm, uh, 110, I think it is, where he says that you shall be in order forever after the, after the order of Melchizedek. You'll be a priesthood forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is always, all rabbinical writings refer to that meaning the Messiah. So there's not a lot of question about that. It was just kind of mysterious to them. So he says Messiah's priesthood was not to come from Levi. You know that, but from Judah in the flesh. Well, what's that referring to? Well, it's funny because the writer of the book of Hebrews says that Moses never mentioned this priesthood coming from Levi. 
Moses may not have, but who did? Jacob did. So when Jacob prophesied over his children, he said this about Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from beneath between his feet until Shiloh comes, which meant the peace giver, peace bringer. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So from this, the Jews knew that Messiah would come from Judah, okay? Not from Levi. And so here, the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to draw people into putting these pieces together to make his argument that Jesus, who you can trace back to Judah, was from the order of Melchizedek in his priesthood. All right, and that's why also later on in this portion of scripture, he says, because it's not from the flesh, but from a life that can't be destroyed, from a life that is eternal, okay? Because that's what Melchizedek, we have no record of Melchizedek other than in Genesis. We don't know where he came from. We don't really even know who he was. We don't have any record of his death. Sound familiar? <laughs> because the Jews thought of Jesus as just some bastard child, right? I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but that's the attitude they had, right? Because they didn't know where to put him, okay? And so the writer is trying to put those pieces together for them, okay? And then finally, Messiah's priesthood was to come from the likeness of Melchizedek, and so as I mentioned in Psalm 110.4, you'll see that this was an Old Testament writing this was not a new idea. This was an old one, and the writer's just trying to connect the dots. And then finally, he says, of all this leads to the better, uh, the Greek word is kratanos, uh, more useful, more serviceable, more, advantageous, more advantageous, and more mature hope. So the priesthood has matured. It's no longer Levitical. It's now Melchizedekian. Try saying that several times fast. <laughs> Melchizedekian, okay? And so if the priesthood has matured, so has, what are they associating with the priesthood? What, before that, sacrifice, atonement, acceptance before God. So if the priesthood has gotten better, so has the acceptance, right? The sacrifice. So what is then going to be connected to this better priesthood sacrifice atonement? More hope, a better hope, right? If my hope is in, please, God, accept our sacrifice this year. And by, just in case, though, we're going to tie a rope around the guy's leg. <laughs> then if the priesthood gets better, then so do all these other things, okay? And that's the point of this passage that he's trying to say. So let's talk about hope for a moment. What is biblical hope? Now this is really important because as an English teacher, I spent a lot of time talking to students about idioms and word pictures and, you know, language is tough. Language is so hard. We don't realize how much, how complicated we take language. Like if I say the word house, what do you think of? A house, a physical, but if I say home, well, now that could be the house. But there's a warmth, there's a connection, there's a tenderness, there's a, well, this is my home, right? Yeah. See how 
words have pictures in our minds. So when we go from one language to another, we have to be a little bit more clear. So hope, what does the word hope mean? Well, in the Greek word, elpis, it means expectation, okay? And so let, let's uh, kind of unpack that a little bit. It's in a positive way, if you have an expectation, it brings faith and hope, right? That's why later on in Hebrews, what did he say? That faith is the evidence of, of things hoped for, things not seen. Faith and hope are very connected, especially on the positive expectation. If it's a negative expectation, what does it create? Fear and dread. How many of us hope that you know, we're going to get in a car accident tomorrow? No, we don't use the word hope for that, do we? <laughs> See? But in this case, the Greek word can be used that way, and it refers to fear and dread. Okay? All right. In Hebrews, okay, Hebrews 11, we already talked about that. Sorry. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself, too, because I'm reading ahead. So in English, we use the word hope to mean many different things, kind of like love, you know? I love my wife, but I also love that shirt Carl's wearing. <laughs> same word, but really not the same level of usage, right? So we tend to do that here in, in English. But what about hope, right? Well, we use hope the same way. I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. Yeah? Or I hope I catch a fish. Or I hope the Toronto Maple Leafs will get to the playoffs again next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not my hope, that's my dread. Um, see, we use the word hope in many, many different ways. But what does the biblical word hope mean? And it means expectation. It means that if this doesn't happen, I will be extremely surprised. I'm planning on this happening. That's what the word hope means in the biblical sense. So when I am coming to the Lord, my hope, if I'm a Hebrew, at one time was sort of like based on, I hope I catch a fish. I hope the Lord accepts our sacrifice. But now the word means I'm planning on it. My feet, those songs we sang, I wish we could just go back and I could just preach from the words of, that, of those songs. Like that hymn, my hope is built on nothing less. All other ground is sinking sand. That's the hope we're supposed to have in Christ. The hope that it is going to happen, I'm planning on it happening. I'll be honest with you folks, if I die and wake up somewhere different, I'm going to be surprised. Because I believe that's what's going to happen. All right? And I live my life based on that. <clears throat> that's my hope. Now, you may, if you're not a believer and you're sitting there, you're saying how naive, there's so many other. This is my hope. I believe my faith is here. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm not judging you, but you can't change my mind. That's my expectation. That's my hope. And that's what that biblical word means. It doesn't mean I hope, man, I hope I get to heaven. And maybe you're there. Maybe that's where your hope is. And I, I hope that you will, I hope, that you will reconsider putting your feet firmly on the rock of Christ. But if you're not there, that's not the hope this 
this writer is talking about. He doesn't want you to have hope that has a rope around the ankle of the high priest. He wants you to know that the veil has been torn, and you can, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 6, you can go boldly behind the veil. Why? Because you've been accepted. Not based upon Aaronic or Levitical priesthood, but because Melchizedekan priesthood, which is perfect. It's mature. It's the top. You can't get any farther. Okay? So that's what we want to realize. That's what biblical hope is talking about. I'm planning on it. All right, so finally, um, there we go. All right. So finally, what is this mature hope? Again, the Levitical priesthood was to go before the Lord yearly, and hopefully it would get done, all right? The Old Testament Hebrews hope was in that Levitical priesthood, but the writer's now saying move to the New Testament Hebrew hope, which is Christ's sacrifice, his priesthood, his acceptance. And let's look at that passage in Hebrews chapter 6, 18 through 20 one more time. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the what? Eltis. There's that hope. Expectation set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the what? The presence behind the veil, the acceptance. This is what this Hebrew writer is saying to his brothers and sisters in, in Judaism. This is where you can go now. Because you understand the picture of that veil to them. Nobody went in there except the high priest. He's saying you can go in there Amen. without a rope around your leg. <laughs> That's how mature the hope has become. That's where he wants them to go. Where the forerunner, who is who, we could almost put a capital F there, has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order not of Levi, but of Melchizedek. And this is a different passage than where we are right now. So he's building on this truth that he already spoke about in chapter 6. Okay. So what do I want to finish, I want to leave with you, is I want to ask you a question. What do you hope for? What's your hope? And I'm only trying to challenge you as a brother in the Lord. If you're still struggling with, I'm not sure, okay, just like hoping I'll catch a fish, that's where my hope is. I encourage you to ask the Lord to, to show you passages of Scripture, to speak to your heart, encourage you that your hope needs to mature, that you're not lost necessarily, like the Hebrews reading this book were searching. They were wanting to know what is the next step for us. So I want to encourage you to keep pushing towards that mature hope, but it's not in this wondering whether, mm, boy, I'm going to, it's like, you know, playing the lottery. <clears throat> and I, if you win a little bit, here, give me another lottery ticket because I'm, I'm shooting for the million. Right? <laughs> Your hope needs to be on the rock, the foundation. It needs to be secure and settled because there's a lot of things that come our way, isn't it? There's a lot of things today that would make us say, what is going on? What is happening here? 
And I'll be honest with you, I, I read the news every day, probably shouldn't. But after I read the news, I have to go back and say, but Father, uh, my expectation is that all this is going to get worked out. It's a broken world, like has already been said this morning. But all this is going to get worked out. And I will be surprised if it's not. Because <laughs> my expectation is that it will. That's the kind of hope that matures as we realize that the sacrifice that has been made was perfect. It was not like the Old Testament. It has matured to the more perfect way, and we can follow that behind the veil. Okay? So, let me just remind you that um, the hope that we're talking about can sometimes be spoken of as a noun, can sometimes be spoken of as a verb. Okay? So, I hope in the Lord. That's a verb. But also, isn't it beautiful that he is also our hope? That's a noun. He actually is the physical embodiment of our hope. How exciting. So if your hope is in anything else, then it's sinking sand, like that song said. And uh, I hope for you to mature into the joy of knowing that Jesus is the hope because of his priesthood. All right. Oh, let's pray. <clears throat> it's terrible when I have to be reminded to pray. That's okay. Father, we do ask for you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. For we have knowledge of the Old Testament and the New Testament, even maybe farther than the Hebrew readers of this book of the first century. And we could easily become proud of what we have and what we know, and still not be fully convinced that we should be expecting that your place in the priesthood of Melchizedek, your, your likeness in that, your high priest uh, sacrifice for us was enough and that we can come behind the veil and come in and be accepted. In fact, the word boldly is used as if to suggest that not only we don't tiptoe in, we don't sneak in and watch from the side, but as children, we can come in and climb up in your lap. And that's not disrespectful because you told us we could. You said we could come in and say, Abba. And so it would really be disrespectful for us to not when you have said we can. So let us come to you as our Father because the sacrifice has been made, because the more perfect priesthood has made a more perfect sacrifice and established a much more mature hope in our behalf. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dan Rolf.